I'm Chris Sims. And I'm Aaron Woodrick. This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. In Deep Dive, we're going to talk about proposals for a death tax that could leave Canadians spitting in their graves. And in Waste Watch, we're going to tell you about taxpayers paying for a study on how to raise taxes on themselves and have the government track their movements. But first, about that whole accountable government thing. Aaron, what the heck is going on up on Parliament Hill? Well, Chris, Parliament is finally back. And that, of course, means that the WE scandal is now back in the news. People will probably remember the Prime Minister decided to prorogue Parliament, which means it gets shut down. And that includes the committees uh, that were investigating the WE scandal. Uh, But to give you a flavor of how things are going now that they're back, here's how the first Finance Committee meeting went. I'm suspending the meeting until further notice. Uh, Mr. Chair, point of order. Point of order. Meeting suspended. Point of order. Point of order. Point of order, Chair. Point of order. Point of order. You do not have authorization to shut down the meeting. You do not have majority to do that. I have the authorization. You cannot. Pierre, I'm not going to argue with you. The authorization to suspend the meeting. And I am suspending the meeting. Have the courage to hold a vote. I am Don't, suspending do, the meeting, the and when we do, when we deal with this motion, Pierre, we will deal with it have properly. Have the courage to hold a vote. So the Don't shut is, us down. The meeting no, is suspended. No, you can't shut us down. The meeting goes on without you. I will be happy to take suspended. on the chair. The Thank meeting, you, will, the meeting will continue going on, and I will begin uh, by taking a, a list. Madam Does anybody Clerk, wish to be on the list uh, in order to speak? Madam Clerk, we have any speakers? I'm ordering it. I will. Uh, I'm or Ms. Jensen. Ms. Jensen, uh, Ms. Jensen, uh, please uh, go ahead. You have the floor. Yes, um, I'm very, very concerned about. No, how... you do not. No, you do not have the floor, Ms. Jensen. I am the Sorry, chair. Mr. I Wayne. ordered the meeting be Mr. suspended. Mr. Easter, you're out of order. You are out of order. You are out of order. You've removed yourself time from the meeting. As I sort you of. That escalated quickly. What just happened there? Well, that was Wayne Easter, who is the the liberal chair of the finance committee, who shut it down without a vote uh, because the conservatives tried to bring a motion forward to get documents released uh, regarding speaking fees for the Trudeau family. And uh, you also heard conservative MP Pierre Paul over there, who is trying to keep the meeting going. Okay, I've seen fur fly at these committee meetings in person before, but this one sounds pretty extreme. If you go back and watch that video clip, you can see Easter putting his hand or his thumb over the camera, and he's yelling at the clerk to shut it down. Uh, The ethics committee met for 10 hours to try to get access to a bunch of documents. Why are they going to these extremes right now? Yeah, you know, one can only speculate, but it is very extreme. And the, the opposition, they want the documents released that they think contain more information about the relationships between uh, the WE group and the prime minister and his family. Uh, but before prorogation, of course, the government actually did release thousands of pages of documents. The problem is they were heavily blacked out. Uh, in some cases, there were literally no words on a page uh, that weren't blacked out. And it, it was so bad that the clerk of the commons, who is not a partisan, uh, said this was way overboard because usually the clerk gets the documents and then decides you know, what needs to be blacked out and what isn't. So there's a real farce going on here in terms of transparency. Uh, you know, and the Liberals spent all that time stalling um, uh, against a vote because they didn't want the documents to be unredacted. Yeah, we released the documents. The only catch is you just can't read them. Uh, Trudeau said that he needed to prorogue Parliament and these committees to reset his government's agenda. But when you look at it, they actually didn't reset anything. In the throne speech, it was mostly a bunch of reheated past promises. So I gotta ask you, 
Call Me Cynical. Was prorogation really just trying to get we off of the news cycle? Well, I can't blame you for being cynical because it's hard to conclude uh, otherwise, given the, given the fact that there really wasn't much of a reset uh, on offer. But, you know, even, interestingly as well, the Conservatives, they tried to launch a third investigation. There's already two committees studying it. They wanted to launch a third one through another committee. But this time, the New Democrats sided with the Liberals and voted to reject that investigation. See, that's kind of surprising. Why would they go and do that after they were so aggressive alongside of the Conservatives? They were tag-teaming the Liberals on this stuff over we. Some of those exchanges with Charlie Angus were impressive. Why did they do this now? Yeah, again, we can only speculate, but we do remember that the Liberals decided to uh, concede to a few of the demands the New Democrats mm-hmm. made for, for, for support of the throne speech, including more generous CI payments, temporary sick leave for certain workers. So, you know, you, you can't hypothesize there might have been some quid pro quo here. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Uh, but the good news is there's still those two investigations going on. So maybe just a little bit of gamesmanship on the part of the Conservatives here, just trying to show that uh, the New Democrats will play ball with the Liberals for the right price. But, uh, you know, what was quite mind-boggling was hearing the Prime Minister uh, and what he had to say about the opposition's efforts to get to the bottom of this we scandal. Uh, Listen to this clip. To speak with the enthusiasm the Conservatives have for this one issue, Uh, they can certainly continue to talk about the we charity and spin conspiracy theories. We're going to stay focused on delivering for Canadians. Mr. Speaker, the member from Carleton actually talked about the fact that he doesn't believe in big government programs. We know that from the Conservatives. However, the 8.8 million Canadians that received the CERB, the 3.5 million jobs that have been saved by the wage subsidy, these are the things we've been focused on, and I was very pleased to see the Conservatives unanimously endorse our plan to move forward last night and continue to support Canadians through this pandemic. And so what you heard there was the Prime Minister saying that now's the time to be, now's the wrong time to be focusing on we, even though of course the only reason that they're spending time looking at it now is because the Prime Minister shut down Parliament and they couldn't look at it a month or two ago. So we'll, we'll be watching very closely, uh, of course, uh, for further developments. Yeah, it reminds me of that Simpsons episode where there's a big flaming wreckage. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Oh, my gosh. Look at this flaming wreckage. Yeah, nice one, Mr. Prime Minister. So stay with us. We're going to be tracking this for more developments. And stay tuned next. We've got death and taxes coming up. It's time for a deep dive. This is where we get in deeper with big policies. And we've got an old idea coming up again inheritance taxes, death taxes, those kind of things. We've got Aaron Woodrick here, our federal director. He's going to get into it a little bit more. What's going on with this policy? Well, Todd, they say that nothing in life is certain besides death and taxes. And it turns out the Green Party anyway would like to see those two things go together. One of their MPs uh, recently raised the idea of a death tax in the House of Commons as, as part of a discussion of other tax hike proposals. Uh, it's not something that's uh, that's hit the mainstream yet, I would say, but it's certainly something some people are talking about. So we wanted to make sure that we took a, took a deep dive into it. Yeah. And here at the Taxpayers Federation, we're not going to wait for higher tax ideas to hit the mainstream before we start getting into it. So what's being proposed here? What are the what are the details? Well, the Green Party proposal uh, says that anybody that has a net worth of over $5 million would pay an additional tax when they die, or I guess to be more accurate, it would be their estate that pays that tax. All right. So here at the Taxpayers Federation, obviously, we advocate for lower taxes. So, you know, we're going to uh, probably have some criticism on this idea, but let me play devil's advocate. 
a rich guy dies, he's got to pay more tax, it's 5 million bucks. What's the big deal? Well, that's the superficial appeal about this type of proposal. It's popular because it seems easy and simple and it won't affect a lot of people. But there are actually a bunch of reasons that it's, it's a pretty terrible idea. And we could start with a figure. Five million sounds like a lot. But take, for example, farms. You live in Saskatchewan, Todd. Is five million bucks a lot for a farmer? Well, I tell you what, Aaron, if you want to come out to Saskatchewan and start farming, give me farmer Aaron, uh, you're going to have to buy a combine, got to buy tractors, got to have an air seeder going to have to buy a bunch of land if you want to start up a farm and you're coming with less than five million bucks uh you're going to have a tough time there's a lot of money that goes into it and when you look at farm families a lot of those families have spent generations trying to pay off that land it would be very frustrating if the government uh, comes in and grandma passes away and you've got to sell a big chunk of that land to try to pay for this uh, death tax I think that would uh, really strike a lot of people out here pretty wrong. And that's just one example. If you consider real estate in big cities like Toronto and Vancouver, uh, you know, it's not unusual for middle-class folks to, to be in houses that are now worth one, two, three million dollars. Uh, and if you think about the threshold that they've set at five million, uh, if they start to lower it, you really start catching a lot more people really quickly. And I think there's good reason to believe they would lower the threshold because the proposal as it stands actually only nets at best about a billion and a half. And that's certainly not the kind of money that uh, the Green Party and others are talking about when, when it's coming to spending. Oh, a billion and a half. I mean, that would barely cover the government's borrowing for a day or two at the pace that it's spending money right now. So, of course, it wouldn't solve problems which means that they would be face a lot of temptation to lower that threshold. If a farmer is uh, getting a bill at a $5 million valuation today, pretty good chance uh, the smaller farm next door is going to get that bill tomorrow. But okay, if I'm being devil's advocate already, maybe I'll take it one more step. Somebody dies uh, with a million dollars in assets. Doing okay? Why not? Why shouldn't the government stick their hand in and take a good chunk of that? Yeah, you're not starving if you're worth a million dollars. But there's another important point that, again, gets lost a lot of the time. And that is that you've already paid tax on that money. Well, that's true. I mean, if you've got a death tax, most of the taxes you've paid in your life are taxes you pay while you're still alive. And there's a lot of them. Okay, break that down a little bit more. Yeah, I think a handy analogy is to think of it this way. Instead of being paid with money, Imagine you're paid with apple seeds. And so the deal with taxes is you give the government, you get to keep some of it, but you give the government some of those seeds and you take the rest and you plant those seeds and you grow some apple trees. And then you got a stream of apples that you can eat or you can sell or you can do what you want. A death tax is a bit like the government sort of jumping at the end and saying, hey, now we want some of your apples. And I think it's fair for people to ask, why are you coming after my apples now? You already got your cut at the beginning with the seeds. I've already paid the tax. You have no right to come and and take my apples now. Well, that's it. Hey, I mean, when you think about it, when somebody passes away and has uh, an estate to pass on income taxes, sales taxes, property taxes, business taxes, all the way along, the government took its share already for it to come in and grab a big chunk at the end as well. That's double taxation is really what you're talking about here. But we're also talking about investments. If the government is hammering people for saving, what kind of an incentive are they creating here? 
Well, it is. It's it's not just double taxation. It's a really perverse incentive, and I, I don't. I'm not sure a lot of people have realized just uh, what could, what that could mean in terms of uh, you know incentivizing people to make bad choices. Okay, so let's take take us through some of those choices. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's essentially a tax on saving. It punishes people for saving. So if you have the choice, for example, you're fortunate enough to be able to set some money aside and you can decide, do you want to save that money so you can pass something on to your kids and your grandkids and help them out? Or you could just take that money, you could blow it on trips to Vegas and gambling. You could buy a lot of fancy meals. You could buy a lot of booze. Um, if you do the former, if you save the money, you get to pay a big fat tax when you die. But if you do the latter and you spend it all before you die, you pay no death tax at all. Yeah, I think we got to be really careful about that. I mean, while it sounds like a good uh, good time to go to Vegas and spend the kids' inheritance, uh, there's some consequences for that as well. We need investment. We need uh, people to invest in the economy. How does how's that going to work out? What what are the consequences of that kind of perverse incentive? Yeah, it means that there's going to be less uh, money around to you know invest in new businesses and jobs. It's a really under discussed part of, you know, the economy. People understand the idea of spending as a boost, but investment is part of that as, as well. It's not as if this money is sitting underneath a mattress somewhere. It is, you know, whether it's in the bank and the bank loans it out or people invest directly into new businesses and creating jobs. If you, uh, if you reduce that stock of investment, that means there's less money to uh, create new jobs and businesses. Um, so actually, you know, it's bad for the economy and, and bad for us overall. You know, one of the things I find striking about uh, things like a death tax is the people proposing them often uh, act as if this is some great new idea. You know, they, they were out walking the dog and it just struck them. Oh, my goodness. Why don't we just take money from uh, from estates? But this is not a new idea. It's been around. Take us into the history on uh, inheritance taxes. Yeah, believe it or not, Canada actually had a death tax and it was uh, eliminated by none other than uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. You know, I think a lot of people, uh, if they're listening to this and driving, they're going to have to pull over. Uh, I don't think, you know, Pierre Elliott Trudeau really has a strong reputation for getting rid of taxes. Tell us that story. Yeah, it was the early 1970s uh, and he was in government and the government looked at some ways to reform the tax code. So there were a bunch of changes. They got rid of some taxes and, and brought in some new ones. And that was one they felt was so bad Uh, that they had to get rid of it. So I think it's a good question to put to his son, our current Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, as to why he thinks it's a good idea to bring it back, especially when you consider that other countries like Australia, Sweden, Norway, they've been getting rid of their uh, death taxes over the years. In fact, Sweden's was so high, it was 70% their death tax. And unsurprisingly, it just led to a lot of uh, wealthy Swedes leaving the country altogether and paying no tax at all. Yeah, and you look at it from their point of view. If you're trying to leave something for your kids uh, and you know the government's going to take the vast majority of it when you, when you uh, pass on, sounds uh, probably like a better idea to move to Switzerland or something. You take that to the Canadian context. If people have to decide whether they're going to stay in Canada and see most of their estate go to the government or they can move to Arizona and pass it on to their kids, suddenly uh, Phoenix probably looks even better than it did before. But when you look at places that do have inheritance taxes, another thing pops out. You have estate planners who look for workarounds. What does that look like? 
Yeah, it's very common in countries that have a death tax. And the States is actually a good example. There's a whole cottage industry that has sprung up uh, basically so that people can structure their affairs in a way to avoid uh, paying things like a death tax. And that includes things like forming trusts. Uh, you can gift the money while you're alive. You can buy life insurance policies, which are which are often exempt. So there are there's a very strong incentive for that sum of money to sort of structure your affairs uh, so you could deliberately try and avoid the very tax they're trying to hit you with. All right. So I'll take my uh, role as devil's advocate again. Uh, one of the problems that uh, folks in the Green Party and other places are trying to solve is they don't want too much money to uh, get uh, concentrated in one family. Talk about that. Is an is a inheritance tax going to fix income inequality? Well, it's superficially appealing again to say, well, we don't want to have wealth passed down between generations. That means it'll just be concentrated in, in a few few uh, families' hands. And, you know, if you're wealthy once, you'll be wealthy forever. But interestingly, you know, the, the study by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, which is supportive of a wealth tax, um, actually shows that once you get down two generations, so by the third generation, only 18% of the super wealthy owe their super wealth to an inheritance. So the idea that, you know, you're rich, your family's rich today, it'll be rich forever. It's simply disproven by the evidence. The vast majority of the time, more than 80% of the time, um, it dissipates naturally over time. So the other thing you could look at is countries like the United States, the United Kingdom, they have death taxes, and yet they have far more inequality than countries like Canada or Sweden. They, they are still far more uh, unequal than, than most countries with a death tax. All right. So. This problem is, or this tax is on the horizon. Uh, it's being uh, discussed by some politicians. We're keeping an eye on it. What are the key takeaways for uh, uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation supporters when they're looking at the idea of a death tax? I think the short thing to point out is that there's very little upside and potentially a lot of downside. You create some bad incentives. It doesn't raise much revenue. Um, and like a lot of tax proposals that are aimed at the rich, uh, which is politically popular. Once you drill down a bit, you realize there's there's not as many of them as uh, some people make them out to be, and they won't generate the kind of dollars that politicians are salivating for. That means they're going to have to look elsewhere. They're going to start looking at you and me. And uh, you know, while it might feel good sometimes to to stick it to the, the wealthy because they can afford it, if the end result is uh, fewer rich people and they pay less tax, uh, it's kind of like cutting off your nose to spite your face because uh, the rest of us are going to end up you know, picking up the difference. So, you know, those policies that are designed to squeeze the rich, uh, they often end up backfiring. If the rest of us get stuck holding the bag, that seems to me to be a pretty dumb move. It's time for Waste Watch. This is the part of the show when we make fun of the dumb things that governments are wasting your money on. Joining me now is my good friend, the Quebec director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Renaud Broussard. Renaud, I hear your government is somehow spending money to lobby itself. How does that even work? I know. It's such a weird thing, but <laughs> in a bizarre twist of event, that's exactly what happened. So in Quebec, the Department of Transportation gave $30,000 to this lobby group called Alliance Transit. It's one of those green lobby groups that always suggests new and higher taxes as, as a solution to everything. Well, they got $30,000 to write up a study demanding new and higher taxes. You know, governments aren't good at a lot of things. In fact, they're terrible at many things. <laughs> but one thing governments can really do well themselves without any help is raise 
taxes. So why on earth did the Quebec government pay for a study telling politicians how to raise taxes? Well, you know, the Quebec government was not alone in this because the study didn't just cost 30 grand. Now, for 30 grand, you probably get a cover page or something. <laughs> the actual study cost 70 grand. What? So the Quebec government gave 30 grand. Then Montreal's regional transit agency gave another 20 grand. Oh. And the city of Montreal and all the neighboring municipalities around it kicked in another 20 grand. So that study actually cost taxpayers 70 grand. Okay. And here's the kicker. Taxpayers are the only one that paid anything for that study. This lobby group managed to get taxpayer financing for 70 grand for a study without any other group kicking in any other money into it, without even themselves kicking in some money, which is kind of honestly deviant, but also kind of brilliant. <laughs> uh, but here's where all Canadians should be wary. What they were lobbying for is this new thing called a kilometer tax, where the government would bill you for every single kilometer you drive. Okay. First off, I love the way you say kilometer tax. <laughs> I do. It makes it sound stylish and refined, but it still doesn't make it a good idea. Um, here in Metro Vancouver, the governments keep trying to hatch this here too. Um, and it'd be crazy expensive out here. So how would it work in Quebec? Well, you know, for that accent thing, it's hardware rather than software. I've tried to change it. Does It, it always comes back. It makes it better, uh, my friend. Don't change it. All good. <laughs> Uh, but that, that report was a little bit light on the exact mechanism that they would use. But thankfully, there's a few other lobby groups that were not so coy. Uh, basically, it would mean putting some kind of transmitting device on every single vehicle in a province so that the government could log just how much you drove in the last year. And then at the end of the year, you'd get a nice bill in, uh, in the mail telling you how much you owe for how much you drove. Okay. Obviously, there are some Orwellian privacy issues there, and that's really serious. But this is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, so we're going to focus on the cost. So how high do they want to set this kilometer tax? Well, how does 15 cent a kilometer sound to you? Whoa, that is crazy level high. You know, for someone who drives 10,000 kilometers a year, uh, which is low for some folks, that would be about 1500 bucks just in the kilometer tax, just for that year. Here in BC, a lot of people do a big commute. They drive in from the Fraser Valley into Vancouver every day. If you drove in from Langley to Vancouver, that's 50 kilometers. That's actually more than $3,000 a year if you had something like that out here. That's crazy high. Oh, absolutely. And if, if you want to see just how high it can be, just look at the counter on your dashboard. You'll see how many kilometers you drove and, and multiply that by 15 cents. That's a whole lot of money. The good news is that the current Minister of Transportation doesn't seem to be too interested in this new tax. Well, these kinds of bad ideas are like weeds. Uh, you think that you've pulled them out by the root. You think you've salted the garden and gotten rid of it. <laughs> but no, all that's happened is they've gone dormant for a while and they've lived in maybe some, you know, university study hall for a while or some bureaucrat's filing cabinet and bingo, they pop back up again. We've seen it time and time again with expensive things like the carbon tax and a bunch of other expensive government programs. Oh, definitely. And that's, that's why it's so important for taxpayers across the country to be on the lookout for this kind of proposal, because they will end up coming back and we need to beat them time and time and time again. That's all, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast.
Thanks to our investigative reporter, James Wood, for editing the podcast. Be sure to tell at least one person you think would dig this podcast and get them to sign up, and we'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening. And thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.